Hello, and welcome to episode 126 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the sparkly. This week, we're going to be talking about a movie Matthew has never seen before, Twilight, on your It's Like First Grade All Over Again, and You're the Shiny New Toy podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay if you want to unapologetically love Twilight with me. And I'm Matthew Vose. For reactions to films like Twilight, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew Vose. have many reactions to twilight specifically no i i am saving them for this because instantly people like oh we're really interested in what you're about to say yeah yeah you gave it what did you give it we can this part's gonna be cut so uh five out of ten five out of ten okay whatever that means oh well you're editing so this may not actually be cut no this is staying in there's no editing on this okay strap yourselves in no editing we could be talking a while here All right, so before we actually jump into this conversation, I really cannot be super objective about this movie. I am aware that it is an objectively bad movie. I am aware that it is not a very good adaptation of the book. And from a straight film perspective, it's just bad. But I love this book (laughs) franchise. I love the books. They came to me at a moment I needed them so desperately, and Bella is a protagonist that I utterly related to, and I had never seen anybody like her in books before, and it just... She she was not the Manic Pixie dream girl. She was not the be-everything-to-all-people character. She was not perfect. She was not beautiful. She was clumsy. She had low self-esteem. Um, even watching the movie the other day, there's a line where she reacted to Edward's confession that he can read everybody's mind except hers. And her reaction to him dropping this bombshell that he's telepathic was, is there something wrong with me? Okay, Because he right. can't read her mind. And I relate to that so hardcore because that is exactly how I would have reacted particularly at her age in high school and even well into my late 20s, I still struggled with that kind of level of no self-worth, no self-esteem, thinking that I had to be all things to people, but failing at it. And and so to see a character who was a main character who ended up in an epic romance with a character who utterly loved her was just something that was wonderful for my soul. Okay. And because of that, I love these movies just because they are a visual representation of those books. Okay. If that matters. It it feels like this is what Monty Python was uh, utterly reversed. Okay. You know, those were films that I'd grown up with, that I loved, that I cannot see anyone not loving. Right. And then yeah. you watch them and was like, no, they're terrible. I just didn't enjoy them. So mm-hmm. I, I'd like to make an offer to you. Okay. 
because I knew you were worried about this, um, to try to meet in the middle somewhere, mm-hmm. depending on what our two extremes of this, this opinion are. I think there is a lot of discussion that's going to be quite good, actually, about this as an adaptation. They were books. They were made into films. And we are going to talk about the film. Right. I think we'll have some conversation about the story, about the characters. But I think a lot of that conversation will apply to how is it shown here, especially differently than how it's shown in the book. I'm not going to denigrate the book. I'm not going to denigrate the joy and love of the thing. But we're going to talk about this as a film and how it achieves what it wants to achieve. Right. C- can you do that? Do you think that's that's a, a acceptable? I think that's absolutely acceptable. That's a good compromise, I think. Okay. Now, you haven't read the book, right? <laughs> Sorry. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. It's totally fine. No, 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 I haven't. This is not a genre I'll probably go to. No, of course it's not a genre you would go to. It is absolutely a genre I go to, though. So, um, so Fifty Shades is started off as fan fiction of this. Did this start off as like an amateur fanfic thing? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I, no, I really don't think so. Um, I could be wrong, um, but I think Stephanie Meyer just wanted, she had an idea and she wanted to put her interpretation of, you know, vampire and werewolf lore out there. Because she has a unique perspective. Okay. Oh, and that's definitely going to be part of the conversation. Hang on. Werewolves? There are no werewolves in this. (laughs) So so I had a a proper conversation with Catherine before watching this because I wanted to sort of make note. Like, I didn't actually know what the story was. I didn't know quite who was in it. I didn't think Jacob was in this one. I thought Jacob came later. So the fact that I said to Catherine, I don't think he's in this. I think he comes later. Then he's basically the first person we meet. Hi, I'm, I'm Jacob. Right. She's sat there laughing at me like, you know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Is Catherine a fan? Yes. I think she read the books and has seen some of the films. I don't think she'd seen this film. Okay. Um, but she is, I think we've said before, she's much more into fantasy than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly romance and romance fantasy. So it, yeah. it speaks much more to her um, feeling on things. Yeah. I I almost kept watching the movies after we rewatched this one. But I realized that I needed not to do that because it would be really hard for me to separate just the parts of the story that were Twilight Versus yeah. what came later. Because to me, it's one big story from Twilight to the end of Breaking Dawn. Right. And like figuring out where those story breaks are is difficult whenever you've just looked at it as a, a whole like singular thing for so long. Um, so it, it's been an interesting, which is why – and it, it feels like to me that everybody knows it's vampire and werewolves. And you're right. There's no werewolves in Twilight. In, in the first one. Mm. Like, there's a hint, but that's it. And you are not alone in that. So, um, your co-host for uh, the Discovery of Witches podcast, Desire Made Real, which is available on all podcatchers and worth checking out. Your co-host <laughs> on that, uh, Caitlin, at Inferior Kate, she said, you know, there is some sexist stuff going on in here because it was voted the worst film of all time recently. I think end mm-hmm. of last year. So, I went to look it up. And the screenshots and the stuff they were saying was from... Twilight as a series mm. and and I think you're absolutely bang on because the books came out in relative you know close time the films all came out 
I think, yearly. Yeah. So it, it has just gone into one thing, which which is really strange. Well, I don't know if it's really strange because I've not seen them. But like Harry Potter, each one is an individual story. And it tells, like, that is an independent thing. And there is something of an arc over them. Yeah. Well, you know, and honestly, Twilight is like that as well. I mean, Twilight, the movie that you saw, tells one cohesive story of how Bella and Edward meet. Yeah. But it doesn't finish what it introduces in that story. There is there is very little that goes from one Harry Potter to another, other mm. than characters. But this leaves us at the end with a person who's plotting revenge on them. It's got Jacob hinting at stuff, and we're not quite sure what's going on there. Yeah, it is clearly you the know. start of something larger. Exactly. So yeah, and and I, like I am always here for world building. I like when people introduce things like this. Um, you know, one of the frustrations of Harry Potter is that she didn't sow some of the seeds earlier. That's a tom- conversation for a different day. That is. That, that's a whole different franchise. I think before we really get down to like the brass tacks of the story itself, I want to talk about kind of the larger conversation around Twilight and the movie. Mm. Because this was a global phenomenon mm. for, for many reasons. This, I mean, like, I think they call them Twihards. Yeah. Like, there was Twilight Fever. Everybody was Team Edward or Team Jacob. You know, we had teenage girls who just went ridiculously insane for this. It was almost like a Beatles concert from the 50s, you know, mm-hmm. like people just yeah. going utterly berserk for the stars of this film, for the story itself. After the first one came out, there were midnight launch parties, there were, you know, marathons. Of every successful uh, successor of before the next one came out, we're going to watch all of them together, not unlike what people do with Marvel. But there was also a significant backlash against it. Mm. This, to the point that for a very long time, I was ashamed to admit that I like Twilight okay. because it became okay. such a stigma. Mm. Like, sparkly vampires oh my god that's so stupid or why would you like that or why if if all of these teen girls like it then clearly something has to be wrong with it was kind of the feeling that you got about it to start with before there was deeper more narrative criticism given Mm. to the film and i i came across a quote from melissa rosenbert who wrote the screenplay and it was interesting. And it wasn't really something I had considered considered before, but it kind of rings a bell with me. Like, it strikes true. And, and I want to say what she said, and then I kind of want to get your take on it um, as a whole. Um, and so she's basically talking about the idea that the hatred of this movie really is a hatred of teen girls. It's coming mm. at it from a misogynistic kind of viewpoint because – She said, we've seen more than our fair share of bad action movies, bad movies geared toward men or 13-year-old boys. And, you know, the reviews are like, okay, that was crappy, but a fun ride. But no one says, oh, my God, if you go to see this movie, you're a complete fucking idiot. And that's the tone. That is the tone with which people attack Twilight. Because it's female, it's worthy of contempt. Because it feels female, it is less than. And I don't know if it's just because of the current climate that we're in that that resonates so much strongly with me. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I would have agreed with her five years ago. 
But hearing those words, or rather reading those words today, really make me step back and say, huh, like that feels right Mm. in a way that makes me very sad. Yeah. I I feel like I don't 100% agree with her about the the way bad films, bad action films, bad, bad films geared towards, you know, teens and men are treated. I think they do get slated. And people do say, no, that's ridiculous. That's, you know, something you should not enjoy. Um, I mean, you think about some of the conversations that were had around Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that's not an action film, but there are films of that ilk that it applies to. Um, so the main movie that I kept seeing people compare this to was mm. Transformers. I don't know. I Oh, that's really hard because, yeah, Transformers is a bad film. And I will talk, absolutely talk about why that's a bad film. It wasn't slated in the same way. And I think that's kind of the second point of it for me. Because she's right. It went over and above what you would get elsewhere for Twilight. Which I think was for a number of reasons. I think because it was vampires, which are traditionally not done in this kind of pure romance setting. Mm -hmm. There was obviously the, you know, fantasy romance element of it, of, of the Dracula story. But normally they're a horror action type thing. Right. Whereas in this, it was, no, no, now we're going to make them lovely and beautiful and even more so than Anne Rice had done. Right. Because Anne Rice still made them pretty terrible. Um, And yeah, it did go because it was particularly younger women who liked it. Yeah, it's an easy target and an easy thing for boys on the internet to attack, which is shameful. And... So I I think there's a middle ground there, but yes, the the reaction to it did go to, to an extreme place. Okay. I can agree with that. Mm. Um, The last thing I wanted to point out um, before we really dive in is because this is really more about the book than about the movie and our larger conversation is going to be about the movie itself. But um, there is an article on Bustle called, I'm grateful that I read Twilight as a teenage girl and here's why. And while I was in my early 20s, not a teen, when I read this, (laughs) this article just made me feel so seen. And she kind of closes out the article with, I'm not going to argue that Twilight is an underrated work of great literature or that Edward and Bella provide a healthy model for a romantic relationship. I'm not even going to argue that it's not silly. The sparkly vampires do play baseball. (laughs) But instead of mocking these silly books because teenage girls like them, maybe we should start thinking about why teenage girls like them. How starved were we for romantic fantasies that Twilight became such a huge success? Why are straight women's problematic fantasies considered so much worse than those aimed at straight boys? Yeah. So it's in the same kind of vein, but it's just Twilight filled a need that we had that no mm-hmm. one else was filling. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, it is always going to have a special place in my heart. And in this conversation, I can objectively tell you, I think it's a terrible movie <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it I, is, but I still love it. I, I totally agree with this quote. Okay. Yes. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the movie and I'm going to try to stick to the movie, but I think, Potentially it's not well written, potentially it has flaws, potentially it has things that we're going to dig into in a little bit. But at the same time, it appealed to people, no matter how badly it's written. Like, yeah. imagine if it had been done well. Like, imagine how good it would be. It, it, it would be the sort of thing, like, 
you know, Avatar I don't think is good, but clearly it appealed across every line. Yeah. To get so many people going to see it. Um, I, I can hear people listening to us right now screaming that the Twilight books are not well written. And I just want to point out, I hear you. The Twilight books are not well written. <laughs> they needed a much better editor than what they had. But that doesn't change the fact that the story filled a need. Yeah. Full stop. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. That, and <laughs> and, and I, I think in the 10, 15 years since, I think we've seen a change to what stories are put out there and how stories that are told in general are made to appeal to different audiences but mm-hmm. we still have a long way to go when you see uh, you know this is obviously not teen girls enjoying something but black panther uh, being so important for the representation of people of color and mm-hmm. it made so much money unexpectedly so just because they were like oh my god this is amazing to see on the screen and that's wonderful and i think we should have more of it and i think we should have stories that represent all people at all times Maybe. wonderful yeah all right. So, Twilight. <laughs> Twilight. Matthew, we've we've kind of already addressed this a little bit in some of your snide comments, but <laughs> why have you never watched Twilight before, given the global phenomenon that it was? It absolutely seemed awful. It did not seem like something I would enjoy. The books did not have a good reputation. Mm-hmm. I mean, o- over and above the vitriol, it didn't seem like they were going to be a thing I enjoyed. The Vampire Sparkle, which is... Slightly problematic in and of itself, and we'll talk about that in a bit. And there was just so much Twilight hate. Like I say, more than it deserves, I think. Mm-hmm. And but it's easy to be influenced by. Absolutely. like, And, and it's easy for me just to go, no, I'm not going to say that. There's plenty of other stuff to see. Um, yeah. And, and then on top of that, I want to tell you my Twilight story. Okay. This is one of the things that stopped me seeing Twilight. Um, All right, let me have it. 2009, I visited the Your Nation's Capital, Washington, D.C., um, say in Old Town Alexandria, and I was in the Smithsonian. I was looking at the Star Spangled Banner, and they had the words written up, and they had this giant flag in front of you that's all tattered, but it's you know the classic representation of the flag. And there was a mother with her young daughter. Her young daughter was probably seven, and uh, she read the words printed up there on writ large for everyone to see. She read the words to her daughter. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Her daughter turned to her and went, Twilight? <laughs> and it's just, no, this is not the place for, for sparkly vampires to interfere. This is a different thing, love. Aww. That's <laughs> so, so adorable. If, if you ever need to see something that makes you go, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I can just imagine Matthew's consternation in that moment. <laughs> What's just the... Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for the approximate 5% of the population who doesn't know a thing about Twilight, why don't you tell us about this movie? Uh, Twilight is a 2008 fantasy romance film based on the novel of the same name by Stephanie Meyer. It was directed by Catherine Hardwick and stars Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson as Bella and Edward. The film was a commercial success, pulling in about $400 million, split pretty evenly between the US and international sales. Its opening weekend was, at the time, the highest ever for a female director. Critics were mixed on the film. Generally, it was felt to be a good adaptation, but not going beyond its original material. And several sequels were made based on the whole series of books. I have to tell you, the first time I read this in our notes, I was like, I I feel like 
so much more should be said about this because, I mean, several sequels were made based on the whole series of books. I'm like, no, there were five books and they're very specific. And and then I was like, but we're just talking about the movie. Like, mm-hmm. we need to just pare this down to the movie. And that's exactly what you did. Yep. It's just very hard sometimes to take that step back. Yeah. There, and this is another film. There was a lot about it because there was so much attention on it. Mm-hmm. Um, about where it was filmed, about how they cast them, about the place where Robert first kissed Kristen. <laughs> There's a lot of information out there. Yeah. None of it relevant to the film itself. So I'm exactly. trying to, and and I'm fairly aware, you know, we're 20 minutes in already. I know, and we haven't even gotten to. Yeah. Did Matthew even like it? <laughs> so if you don't know and are listening to this, which I get, yeah, this might be a way to decide whether you should watch it or not. Uh, Bella moves to Washington State to live with her father. She meets glowering Edward, and they begin a romance that is dangerous to his family and her life. That's accurate glowering edward and i'm trying to do that because i keep wanting to call him brooding and he's not brooding yeah he's definitely not brooding yeah we'll come to that (laughs) do i need to ask how you watch this (laughs) i own it of course i own all of the books and all of the movies nice is it a box set did you buy them one by one oh one by one okay Um, i am not a person who will buy them one by one and then go buy the box set when it's over and i'm too impatient to wait for the box set Right. So I'm almost never going to have like the director's definitive edition of the entire series unless somebody buys it for me because I don't see a reason to buy something I already have. Okay. That's fair. I'm yeah, weird. No, I get yeah, that. Yeah, no. I, I buy the original version. I buy the limited version. <laughs> I, know. I just upgrade as life goes on. Yeah. Um, I didn't even I, do that with Buffy. Like you'd think I would have and I didn't. Uh, I bought the first DVD release, but that's the one with the, you know, letter. F- no, it's the numbered edition with the letter from Joss Whedon and all sorts. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm never upgrading that one. Uh, where were you able to find it? Because I'm fairly certain you probably didn't go buy this one. I didn't. Sorry. No, it was. It's actually on Netflix um, and it's been broadcast on a couple of TV channels recently. Okay. So it's available everywhere. I didn't look, but I suspect it's also on Netflix here. Right. I, yeah. It feels like a fairly one that you'd buy the international rights for. Altogether. Yeah. Hmm. I think so. I don't know. What about the cast? Have you, do you have much experience with Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, or Catherine Hardwick, who directed? Uh, Catherine Hardwick, I don't think I've seen anything. Oh, no. It's Catherine Hardwick. Sorry. Let's start that again. Catherine Hardwick, yes. I really enjoyed 13, which she was director and co-wrote with one of the other people in Twilight. Um, really heavy film, but very good. Um, and I, I might have seen Lords of Dogtown. There's a film called Lords of Dogtown. And there's a film called... I'm going to say Zed Boys. Dogtown, Dogtown and Zed Boys, which is a, a another film about the same... About skaters in uh, California. And I've seen at least one of them, if not both of them. <laughs> it's so long removed now, I'm not sure which one. Um, okay. But yeah, no, C- Catherine Hardwick, big fan. Robert Pattinson, I have not seen anything else he's done. Like, I know he's in Harry Potter, but barely. Um, and for whatever reason, I just haven't seen anything else he's done. Whereas Kristen Stewart, I've seen Snow White and the Huntsman. I've seen Personal Shopper. 
Adventureland. Like, she's done a lot of things that I've seen and have always enjoyed. I think she is actually very, very good because she's such a contained actress. She's quite interesting to watch what she does on screen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I forgot. Nope, not I forgot. I only recently <laughs> became aware of the movie Personal Shopper, but it looks okay. intriguing and I want to see it. Mm. Uh, Abby on Twitter, at this A Shaw, she recommended it to me. Um, and I was very pleased I watched it. It was very interesting. Okay. Mm. I, I find Kristen Stewart projects are hit or miss with me. Mm. Sometimes I enjoy them, sometimes I don't. I, th- I think she's still doing lots of uh, slightly more indie films, slightly more interesting films, not necessarily totally mainstream yet. And I, and I don't, you know, she's like Daniel Radcliffe and that and that lot. She doesn't need to do, go and do anything mainstream now if she needs if she wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she's capable of it. She's got she's in the Charlie's Angels remake, so potentially she could suddenly hit the big time. Do we want to talk about your experience with similar material? Namely, vampires. Besides Buffy, it, well, I love vampires. I, I love vampire stories. I think they are so interesting. Just the way it's this one kind of myth, and and it's fascinating. Just the way the myth itself goes on and on and on in different cultures and different ways, but that it can be used whether it's a gothic horror like a traditional. Uh, Dracula story, whether it's, you know, sort of comic booky horror violence, whether it's, you know, vampire hunters, whether it's a kind of Buffy, you know, modern take on it. Buffy, slayer of the vampires. Um, I think vampires work so well in every story and it, as a good analogy for different things. You see them being used in stand-ins for a, a community being ostracized, a community struggling with disease or... Uh, difficulties you can you i've seen it done to compare um culture clashes so vampires uh, vampires and werewolves is obviously a very obvious one (laughs) um yeah i like vampires i've seen a lot of vampire films and vampire tv shows i i don't think it's necessarily the vampire-ness of it but i think angel's better than buffy for me uh yeah vampires are awesome go vampires yay do you have a favorite (laughs) vampire story Ah, oh, favorite vampire story. I mean, what we do in the shadows is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. But I don't know if that's because of the vampire story. I think it's just because it's one of the funniest things ever. Okay. Um, I think probably Buffy and Angel is the one I would sort of talk about. Like this does it really well. But you know, Blade is an interesting take on vampires. Lost Boys is an interesting take on vampires. Interesting. So, for full disclosure to our audience, we are planning a vampire month in October. <laughs> and all of the ones you just mentioned are on the slate for that. Yeah, I think that's why they're all in my head. I mean, there are... We will talk about this much more in depth when we get to vampire month. But there are sort of movements through vampire films going from Nosferatu through Dracula, um, classic adaptations of it into when horror films became big and it was just vampires as horror and then into the more modern take which goes through and rice and twilight with a, a, a sort of understanding of what it might be to be a vampire mm-hmm. how do you actually consider you know someone who lives for that long and sees people dying what does it mean to them how do you live your life how do you form a community around that and there are great films that do that films like only lovers left alive with 
Tilda Swinton. Um, and Let the Right One In or A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night that do really interesting takes on vampires. You know, we, we are in a, a time where they're doing great, great takes. Wow, I've never heard of any of those. All right, Matthew, did you enjoy Twilight the movie? If you'd asked me that at the baseball scene, I'd have said yes. I'd have said I was quite enjoying it. In spite of some of the performances, some of the effects, the fact the vampires sparkle, I, I, I probably would have said, yeah, you know, actually, this is doing some good stuff. However, from that point on, probably no. I think this film becoming an action thriller doesn't fit, doesn't necessarily make sense, and is a bit of a waste compared to the good stuff they were doing before that. Okay. So probably no in total, because that's what the film becomes. So you were really wanting this to fit more into that rom-com formula. I'm not sure the com is in there. I mean, (laughs) maybe, you know, it could have done with a little bit of lightening up. Um, But the the romance, absolutely. I I think this is a, a rare occasion where I'll say the romance is not given enough for me. I love that this is in a sort of, Austin Bronte style um, and it could be doing some really interesting stuff but talking about the different classes the social systems uh, there is an element of her going into the vampire's family and the time she spends with them that is reminiscent of things like the main character from Pride and Prejudice who's named Jane? No? If you hadn't asked me that Yeah Elizabeth Elizabeth, thank you. God, man. Elizabeth um, Bennett. <laughs> yeah, the bits of Elizabeth when she goes and visits the Darcy's aunt, I think it is, and mm-hmm. is, is suddenly seeing, you know, different different classes around her. Like, oh, wow, actually, it's very, very different. And people act differently. And I have my opinions of them. And they have my their opinions of me. I, I felt like it was doing some of them. But then it was just... Oh, hey, we've met evil vampires, and now we have to drive four and a half thousand miles to get away from them. Okay. In that kind of story that you're talking about, you do still have to have a conflict. You know, there has to be some sort of growth or change. What would you have made that conflict if it wasn't vampires are dangerous and we need to show that vampires are dangerous? I think it can be vampires are dangerous. I think it could even be the evil vampires that we meet. Who um, just sort of, oh, look, there's evil vampires. Um, I, I think it could have been him fighting for her, fight resisting his urge about her. It doesn't have to be. And then suddenly there are vampires that want to kill you. So we now want this whole chase sequence. Um I think it could have been much more about everything they had set up rather than suddenly introducing this thread that I don't think fits. I don't I don't know necessarily whether it... This, this might be where we get into the adaptation of it because it just seems to come out of nowhere and I don't really understand the reason for it. It's like, oh, I defended you, so now he definitely wants to hunt you because there aren't any other humans for him to hunt? Because you? I... Okay, so to you, it felt like it was kind of specific to Bella being this magical creature who everybody wants. She's irresistible to Edward and now she's irresistible to James. Is that what the movie kind of made it feel like to you? Yeah. Okay. Why her? And and then why does he go and threaten her mother but not kill her? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
From an adaptation perspective, I think the story was told poorly. Okay. It left out some things. It rushed some things. I think in the book, I never questioned what was happening. I, I think they spent more time in the book explaining why the Cullens were different from other vampires. Instead of setting the Cullens up to be the norm, which is what you get here, in this movie, they did go out of the way to say, you know, we're quote unquote vegetarians because mm-hmm. we only eat animals, but they didn't spend a lot of time explaining what vampires in this world actually are. They're assuming that you know the lore and that the lore is true. But the problem with that, though, is that we don't know what the lore is in this world because it's obviously not what we, the audience, know because in this world, vampires are sparkly, you know? And and so they didn't give enough of the setup, I think, for why it's such a problem to have other vampires come in. And it wasn't even that they were evil vampires specifically. It's just they were vampires doing what vampires do. It's just different than what the Cullens have chosen to do. Right. And because they didn't show that difference well enough, their reaction to the, I guess, what's the word that I'm looking for? The protective instinct and the the predator-prey relationship Mm. doesn't come across in the movie. So I agree with you. Like, I I think if if I had never read the book, if I had only seen this, I probably would have been able to, like, hand wave it, head cannon it away just because I like vampire stories. Yeah. Um, But from a critical perspective, which is how you're looking at it, of course, (laughs) absolutely, it doesn't make very much sense. It, It doesn't have enough reason there's no narrative there to tell us why they're doing this thing Mm. and and i think some of this for me might come from those performances um i think i i think kristen stewart is a very good actress but like i say she's very contained she doesn't give much away which makes her quite magnetic to watch but i think so much of this film is Seeing what she goes through, I don't think she's the actress who can give us that. I think we need someone who's a bit more animated, a bit more expressive to help. There's times when I can't quite follow uh, and it needs to be it's sort of shored up later on of like, okay, so she's falling in love or she's scared of him or and I, I never quite sort of read it correctly, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. My initial reaction the first time I saw this movie was that every character had been horribly miscast. Okay. <laughs> um, coming at it now, I think I I think Kristen Stewart was beautifully cast now, and and oh. that may just be coming from from years of understanding of the story and like being in it, mm. and so I can see subtext that maybe somebody who's never experience the story at all wouldn't see Mm. and and that may actually mean she was miscast that her performance there wasn't enough in the story to understand her performance i think but from my perspective she sells beautifully the solitary clumsy taking care of her mother like sacrificing herself multiple times in this movie to take care of her mother um, 
because she she chooses to leave the life that she's happy in so that her mother can happily live with her husband. You know, she goes somewhere with a father. She's not really have a good relationship. She doesn't have a relationship with Charlie at all at that point. You know, and then at the end, she's willing to die to save her mother's life. She, I don't know, she's she's the girl who, while everybody is trying so hard to get her attention and to bring her into their group, she would rather sit there alone and read her book. Okay. And because of those things, and those are some of the things that I relate to so heavily with her character, I feel like Kristen Stewart projected that vibe she okay. was a loner. She was solitary. But maybe given the lack of depth in the adaptation and the script itself, there needed to be more. Uh, yeah. So I I think you're absolutely right. I did get the sense that she was a bit of a loner and wanted to be kept away or wanted to keep away. Um, but she had friends around her and was spending time with them and doing these things. So so I think this a little bit, like you say, the adaptation not quite going far enough because although, yes, there's, there's subtext and there's nuance on there that might win a second view or win with a second viewing, the film is almost assuming you've read it. I mean, I have seen comments yeah. that, that they were making a film for the people who'd read it. They they mm-hmm. thought that was the only people who were going to come and see it and they were going to make back their budget, So, which is fine. That's what they wanted to do. Um, but for people who haven't read it, who don't know the characters before that point, it doesn't give you enough to go. And yeah, I mean, this is a short film. This is like an hour 35. There's a lot of slow motion in this. They could have given us some more scenes to help us understand what the characters are and who, what they're doing. Yeah. They didn't give us enough to be invested in the characters. Mm. Like there was no reason for Bella to be so upset that Charlie could be in danger. You know, there there was nothing to tell us why oh, I can't even remember Anna Kendrick's character. Like why does she want to be friends with Bella so badly? We don't know. Mm, yeah. Why is Rosalie such a bitch? We don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just they're given to us as fact and they expect the audience to already kind of know these yeah. people. Yeah. And, and I wonder if, uh, should we continue? I might see that changing as they realize, oh, there's a big audience for this. So let's make them more accessible, maybe. Um, maybe. Possibly, <laughs> considering the movies do get much longer moving <laughs> forward. Yeah. Um, and then, Yeah. You said you thought everyone was horribly miscast. What were your opinions on the casting of Edward? I... Okay, so Robert Pattinson is a good actor. Mm-hmm. Like, full stop. No matter what project he does, he is a good actor. He is talented at what he does. I don't think that he portrayed Edward in the way that Edward was portrayed in the book. Okay. Edward was, like magnificent he was the perfect gentleman he was the character who he did everything in his power to make sure bella felt loved that bella felt safe and that bella was really the center of everything for him and that does not come across in this you get more edward is tortured edward is pained and while those things may come to play in later parts of the story, 
in Twilight itself, it's all about the romance. Mm. And that romance just wasn't portrayed the way you want a fantasy romance to be portrayed. Right. And I just don't think he carried it well enough. He focused too much on the dark nature of vampires in his performance. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting that you're not talking from a physical perspective. I mean, is he the sort of person you pictured? No, but I mean, everybody has a different taste. I don't particularly think Robert Pattinson is very attractive. Okay. But that's just me. Lots of people do. Right. And so that's not something I specifically wanted to comment on in this context. <laughs> okay, sorry. So <laughs> do, do you have a perfect casting and why is it Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Huh. Tom Hiddleston's too old to pull it off. No, but at this time, 10 years ago. That's true. 10 years ago, Tom Hiddleston probably could have done it. Because Keanu's too old at this point. I think if it was in the 90s, maybe even early 2000s, Keanu could have done it. You know, I remember having some perfect fan casting back when they were talking about this movie, but it's been so long ago, I don't remember who it is. Okay. And it's just always been Robert Pattinson now. Right. Okay, well, we can we can return to that. If you're listening and you have a perfect fan casting for Edward, do let us know. I, I'm quite interested in this. I may see if I can, like, dig up mm. what I used to think, because I know I had one. I just don't know who it was. Uh, vampires. This is a film about vampires. It is. Vegetarian they, vampires. The vegetarian sparkle. vampires. Okay, okay, so the vegetarianism <laughs> thing, right. Terry Pratchett, the way he wrote modern vampirism in the Discworld, he had the League of Temperance, where they go to meetings and they talk about being off-blood um, and, you know, being good with people and trying to fit into the modern world. They have a uh, an, an analogy to goth culture for vampires, where they give each other names like Susan and dress up in cardigans. <laughs> <laughs> they try to be utterly ordinary and this kind of thing, like... You know, I've seen people doing interesting things with vampires, particularly about the trying to fit into modern culture. These vampires sparkle, and they actually bite, but not with fangs. <laughs> They're just like all of their incisors mm-hmm. biting into you. Um, but still, they have venom. So they've had physi- in, in becoming a vampire, they've had a physiological change. They now secrete venom, but it hasn't changed their teeth. And but now they sparkle. I could accept all that. Having now watched it, I mean, it's ridiculous, first. But she doesn't explain why these vampires are different from the the vampire myth. Because mm-hmm. this is a world where the vampire myth exists. Bella goes and Googles and she finds information on vampires. This is a world where, frankly, Buffy the Vampire Slayer exists as a TV show. Yes. So she knows what vampires are. But there's never a point where they're like, hey, how come you sparkle instead of turning into dust? Well, okay, so the book does go into that, and I think they tried. There was a throwaway line about um, when he showed off who he was. Like, he showed her that he sparkled. He said, now you know why they think we can't come out in the sun, like, during the day. Okay. He he did specifically call out that's why that piece of the myth exists. It's because Mm. they don't go in the sun because they sparkle. Interesting. See, I thought that was a specific thing about him and why they think he and his friends don't go out in the sun 
Oh, no. Not, not as a, this is about vampires. No, that's about, it's a, that's okay. a vampire thing. Vampire, in this world, all vampires sparkle in the sun. Oh, yeah, yeah, but not, not why the myth. It was just, this is why your friends make comments about us not coming out when it's sunny. Oh. Who knows? Yeah, so, in, I mean, in the, in the book, they do flesh out the modern vampire myth and how some of those myths have come to be. Right. Given the reality of vampires in this world. Okay. They just left it all out of this movie. That's a shame. Because I think it needs it. I, th- I think it needs it. Because otherwise you're like, no, you can't just tell me vampires sparkle and we've had it wrong or this is a different thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have seen other films where they, they introduce things that aren't necessarily part or staples of the vampire myth, but they still go to explain it. There's a film called Dracula 2000 um, that very heavily leans on the vampires and silver, vampires not be able to touch silver. Um, which you only see very rarely in vampire things, I think. Um, but they explain that because they say the first vampire was actually Judas Iscariot and he was paid in 30 pieces of silver. Mm. And then he hanged himself, but God wouldn't let him die because of his betrayal. Like, they, they do a backstory that you, where you go, oh, yeah, that's quite, you know, it's a nice explanation. It's a bad film otherwise, but that was an interesting <laughs> take. <laughs> yeah. So I wish I'd had that. But on, on the flip side, there there is a lot of this film, and particularly the film, I don't know, I, I from what you're saying about the book showing how much he loved her and cared for her and wanted her to feel protected, I think it's less so, but there's a lot of this that has subtext of an abusive relationship. Certainly psychologically, uh, there's lines about, you know, the lamb fell in love with a lion, what a silly lamb. Um mm-hmm. If you were smart, you'd get away from me. Uh, I'm not afraid of you. Oh, I could make you be. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it that's just this. She wants she wants to be wanted, I think. Um, and his love is there, but is also always, always tinged with some sort of threat or some sort of keep me on your good side or it won't be good for you type thing. And it's... I'd like to think I'd have picked up on it, but I did know about this from early on. And when you know it's there, you start hearing it. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that line in Hamilton where the king is threatening the Americans. And he says, I'll send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Now, wow. Now that's a legitimate line because it is about these two you know, uh, uh, nations abusing each other and in a war with each other and so on. But there are lines almost exactly like that. Of I could kill you and you're just nothing compared to me, you know. You couldn't, you can't run for me, that kind of thing. That's like, oh, this is really bad. Um, so I have it, thoughts. Yeah, go on. Did did that ever stand out to you? What have you sort of seen it over the years? Or it never did until people started talking about it after the movies came out. Okay. And even now, I think. I struggle with it because I see exactly what you're saying. I see how those things are problematic. But I don't think Stephanie Meyer intended them to be problematic. From my perspective, and I believe this is what she intended, what we're seeing is a relationship between two two people, one of whom is very deeply conflicted about the relationship because the reality of it is, is that he could kill her at any moment, just by very nature of who he is, what he is. 
And, and, and that his nature wants to kill her. Exactly. I think is the point. Yeah. And what she is doing is she is doing everything in her power to tell him that she accepts him as he is. And he is trying every second of every day to remind her who he is so that she won't accept him because he doesn't accept himself, which I don't think super came across in this movie. Yeah. yeah, So it's interesting you saying that you've heard it since the movies come, it came out. I I wonder if the movies, because they've picked and chosen what they've shown on screen, it's ended up sort of funneling through to some of the core of that, where when you get it in the middle of, them spending a lot because I, I imagine in the book there are a lot more scenes of them spending time together mm-hmm. it it sort of softens it somewhat and and you're absolutely right this is why i i hope i would have picked up on it but i'm not sure because it is about vampires and humans right there is a class difference here and it's dangerous for her and the film does a very nice job actually of showing it dangerous for his family if people found out they were vampires and what vampires were they'd at the very least have to move on if not kill a bunch of people that they don't they clearly don't want to do Right. So, so yeah, I agree with you. I think that's where she's writing it from. But the film is portraying that, and it's portraying it very strongly. And I think even if it was evident in the book, they could have taken it out. And I, I feel like it's dangerous to have included it in something that was such a phenomenon. <laughs> Do you think that there's something to be said about portraying a man who has the power to hurt a woman, but actively and repeatedly chooses not to. Hmm. Not the desire hmm. to hurt a woman. Yeah. Let me just differentiate there. Yeah. But the power, because that's what we're seeing here. Edward has that power because of what he is, but he loves her. He restrains himself. Uh, yes. Yes. Yes, I agree with you there, except he keeps reminding her of that fact. And that's where the abuse comes in. The fact okay. that he says, it's a good job I love you, because otherwise you'd be dead. Mm, and, and that okay. is one of the core tenets of uh, uh, abusive relationships. Okay. So, yeah, the film found other ways of doing it. I I would say, yes, it is It is a good thing to show, you know, someone going beyond his basic instincts. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, you're not wrong. I, I don't disagree with you there. I think... Again, this is one of those things where I, I have a hard time being objective about it. Right. Just because I never read it that way. I read it the way it was intended. And I think probably the fact that it it shows up in a way that's not intended in a lot of ways makes it more problematic because it normalizes it. Mm-hmm. But because I like the story so much, I struggle with that because it's easy for me to dismiss it as... That's not what she meant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so it's a line that I have to yeah. kind of delicately balance. And, and I agree with you. I don't think it was meant. However, it's what's ended up on screen. Right. <laughs> um, and there there are reasons why it can get through, why you, you can sort of watch it without seeing it. Because I think they actually have quite good chemistry together. I, th- I think these actors work together as much as I think there's bits of Bella that could be changed and improved. I think the scenes they have together, particularly as the film goes on, yeah, I kind of see it. I kind of see them being a couple. And I mean, were they a couple in real life? Am I right in thinking? They were for a yeah. little while after yeah. this, yes. So, yeah, I can see it. And 
it, it, it works, which is why possibly why the romance for me, I want to see more of it. Because it's like, yeah, these are. This is a good relationship. I want to see more of what comes out. There's some fire going on here. Okay. Mm. Cool. And and to be fair to Bella, there are bits of the characterization that are really good. I love how much you can see that she's like her dad. How much mm-hmm. they they write that similarity in there. And it again, it comes across through the performances that they're both kind of not entirely sure how to relate to the other, but also do love each other and are good to each other. Um, yes. It's almost a shame that there is a line later on about like, oh, I must be someone like my father. Like, no, we were there. We had it. Absolutely had it. The film had given us enough to see that thing. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about Bella as a bit of a um, gothic heroine. There was a really interesting comment from uh, at the Maria Dawn on Twitter who said we could discuss this as a, a modern gothic fiction. Uh, mild horror elements combined with romance and complete with flat single-dimensional characters, which, as I said on Twitter, like, tell us what you really feel. Um, <laughs> and, she, and, and to be fair, the response was, it's not an indictment to the book. Gothic literature was very popular for many reasons. It's interesting that unlike other YA novels, Twilight was written in a different style and gained popularity so quickly, maybe readers needed some updated Gothic themes. That's very similar to what you were saying earlier. That quote about, you know, people needing these sorts of stories and perhaps modernizing them and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely um, filled the need. But but there was also a point made that, yeah, Bella is, uh, certainly in this film, her existence is there to be wanted. She's there to be the love interest and for him to desire her, for the other men to desire her. Uh, and we don't really see her have much beyond that. Mm, okay. This is me trying to step back from the saga as a whole and just look at this movie because I know more than you do (laughs) about Bella and Bella's purpose in this world. Okay. Um, In in just Twilight, though, I I wouldn't say that her purpose is there to be wanted because Bella was – I mean, and I said this already. Bella was there – she did everything in her power to try and accept Edward for who he was, to show him that he had value despite what he felt about himself. She did the same thing to her mom with trying to take care of her mom and give her mom what she thought she needed. You know, mm-hmm. Bella was there to take care of other people, which is, I guess, a different side of the same coin, really. But it's not male gazy. And so it makes me feel better. That that is very true. If I would think about why we are watching this this character, why why we're following her story, why are we not following Edward in this story? I'm not sure because she moves to Washington, and then it's all about the vampire that wants her and the boys that want to go out with her. I, there is nothing in and and the vampire that wants to hunt her. Mm, she does okay. not end up having a. And she triumphs because she gets into that college she wants to get into. She gets that job she wants. She gets the man she wants. It's about other people's reactions to her. Okay, that's fair. Because she doesn't even triumph over James. They have to come rescue her. Yeah. Four and a half thousand miles away. (laughs) Which they got to very, very quickly. (laughs) Why? Why even write the own Phoenix? Like, she's going to be caught anyway. Clearly, the the guy is going to catch her. Yeah. So why make it Phoenix? Why not... We're just going over the Canadian border. We're just going down to the mountains. 
<laughs> doesn't have to make sense. No, no, it does not. No. There are many delightfully wonderful books and movies that don't make sense every step of the way. That that is fair. That is fair. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, that that is a very good point of evidence for why this is a sort of modernized version of some of those themes. And I, and I think there are books since this that then have taken it further and done better. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, you would talk about this being an important book in evolution of this sort of genre. Absolutely. We talk ad nauseum on Desire Made Real about how Discovery of Witches would probably never have been published if it weren't for Twilight coming first. Yeah. And that was the one I was thinking of, and I I wasn't 100% if it was first or not. (laughs) Yeah. No, Twilight definitely came first. And I think there was a resurgence in vampire fiction after Twilight. You know, Mm. True Blood was already around, but True Blood was for a much more mature audience. Yeah. And so it wasn't until Twilight fans grew up that True Blood became as big as it got. You know, so Twilight is really the thing, I think, that just reinvigorated the genre. And I think some of those um, films that I mentioned, things like Let the Right One In, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, have elements of the sort of gothic romance to them. But they are almost a reaction in the other way of like, okay, you're going to make vampires these tragic heroes and so on let's do that but keep them dangerous okay that's fair yeah uh anna underscore mcg on twitter made comments about that the abusive elements to it um and saying that it starts a dangerous example for its teenage fandom i i can see that it would but you'd hope that it would open up the possibility for conversations about it Mm -hmm. and not be you exist to be loved and wanted by people who are potentially a bit bad yeah. Although it stands out that Pixar made this a single joke in one of their films. That bit in Inside Out where they see the boyfriend and the boyfriend's just, I would die for Riley. <laughs> and and that is basically Edward for Bella. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I really, really would like to continue talking about the series with you because some of these things are going to get worse before they get better in, okay. in the scope of things. And it's really hard for me not to talk about them right now. It's sounding like we probably will. Um, who <laughs> else did we hear from? We heard from Josie at Jawspot7. The rain is real and curly-haired people don't belong in the Pacific Northwest. True story. Now, I've been watching uh, Twin Peaks this year, so I was watching this film like, wow, these are some, some fantastic trees. Say, what sort of trees have you got around here? Got to find out what kind of trees these are. They're really something. <laughs> Which, which so far, I'm not far into Twin Peaks, but it's been the best thing. I love Carmel Clocklin anyway, but, but and now going back to other things said in Washington State. Brilliant. <laughs> um, Anna also made a great comment about how in this film, beyond everything else, the blue filter is so heavy handed, I just cannot. And and yeah, they, they've done makeup to make the people look pale and then they've put this really pale filter over them. They look mm-hmm. like albinos. It's yes. way too far. I suspect that will get better as time goes on. I have a question for you. Just general vampireness in in general. Hmm. General vampireness in general <laughs> in this things. movie. Yeah. So a specific general, yeah, whatever. Um do you recall which vampire in the Cullen clan was Jasper? Was that the Backstreet Boy one? The one who no. looked like No, okay. No, that's Emmett. Jasper's the one who looks like a walking corpse. Okay. He's trying to channel Jack Sparrow a little bit. Okay. But with no emotion. 
Jasper. Jasper Hale. He was the one with Alice. Oh, Monkey Man. The one who climbs Monkey up the tree man? in the baseball game. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, okay. My Monkey Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, no. did you have any opinions on the his performance? Oh, I didn't even notice his performance. I'm really oh, okay. sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. That's fine. It's actually probably better that you did it. Okay. Is is he going to be a thing? It, he he plays that character consistently across the entire franchise. I will okay. say that, and I just <laughs> okay. It's bad. Right. I'm gonna yeah. I'll keep an eye out for him when we come to the other ones. Who else did we? God, we got so many feedbacks on this. It was awesome. Um, our friend Kim at Metzgill. I read the books first. They were terry good in a chaste, trashy romance kind of way. The moody, movie adaptations were so overwrought. In book form, some of it was fine, but Bella seemed like a weirdly obsessed teenage child with a major inability to see herself clearly. Oh, Mandy. I'm, I'm sorry. Accurate. <laughs> After what you said. That uh, was me. Hi. And the boys, ooh boy, it's hard to tell if acting or lines or both were bad until you see them be decent in other movies. I get that they were trying to, uh, they were being true to book, but some of it really needs to be livened up and toned down for viewing purposes. I think that might be a thing about the special effects, which Mm. had elements of the way Marvel and DC do special effects for sort of super speed and super jumping and so on. It was trying to be very realistically grounded. But it kind of works in them because you've already got other elements of ludicrousness going on. Because the characters are a bit large, because it's a bit silly and everyone's making jokes. In this, because it takes itself so seriously, no one is allowed to smile or enjoy themselves in this. And then suddenly he's running at super speed and jumping between trees. Ah, That bit where he runs above the cloud cover did not work. I'm really sorry. Hold on tight, spider monkey. That didn't work for you? Is that that bit? No, because that's the bit when he's jumping through the trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That first time where he's like, we need to break the cloud cover. And it's just him zooming through the forest. Yeah. The zooming never really worked. Mm. In this movie, for sure. You need a bit more kind of blurring of the background, but they're trying to be like, no, he is actually fast in the real world. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <sighs> Do you have any moments in this that you would consider good that you could point as being the favorite thing that you experienced while you were watching this? Anything at all? I'm not sure I have favorite things. There is stuff that is so ridiculous. It sort of circled from being bad ridiculous around to being funny. Things like the sparkling, the special effects, the running and the jumping. Um, The fact that they don't have fangs, but they do have venom. So, like, when you see that she's been bitten, it's like... You know, when you see, like, ch- children have bitten something. Or something. <laughs> it's that kind of teeth marking. It's a bit ridiculous in a vampire myth where you could just say, oh, no, they've got fangs. It's fine. <laughs> and then there's the voiceover narration that's so Emily Dickinson. Like, with her opening line of, like... I'd never given much thought to how I would die. I just sat there and was like, F off, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's reminiscent of Winona Ryder in Beetlejuice. It's that kind of thing. I am alone. <laughs> I am utterly alone. Yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. You know, I, I have found that movie adaptations of books from first 
first-person point of view rely mm-hmm. very heavily on voiceover. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't think anybody's found a better way to do that. Or if they have, I haven't seen it. There, there are books on our list. There are films on our list that are adaptations of books that do it very, very well. But the one that is coming to mind is High Fidelity, and they do that because he just talks to the camera. He just breaks the fourth wall. My desert island. All time. Top five most memorable breakups in chronological order are as follows. Allison Ashmore, Penny Hardwick, Jackie Alden, Charlie Nicholson, and Sarah Kendrew. Those were the ones that really hurt. Can you see your name on that list, Laura? Maybe you'd sneak into the top ten, but there's just no room for you in the top five. Sorry. Which is basically Ah. the same thing. Yeah. But it is. It means you can't have a scene going on whilst he's got voiceover. He is the scene. So mm-hmm. mm. I'll tell you what we've not talked about. That is a favorite thing that I, I did enjoy the baseball scene. Okay, I, I actually enjoyed the baseball scene. I enjoyed this idea that because yes, they are super powerful, you know, super fast. So yes, you would play baseball in this huge thing, and the fact they have to play it with thunder so that no one can hear them. Okay. But I enjoyed what they did, and I, that's the one moment in the film. People get to have fun and enjoy themselves. And you see them doing it, and you see them relishing being vampires and having vampire skills. And then it's got supermassive black hole playing over the top of it. And I love Muse. I think Muse are a great band. I think Muse are one of the coolest bands there is. And Supermassive Black Hole might be the coolest song they've ever done. So have it coming in there over the sequence is itself quite cool. <laughs> Yeah, it worked for me. I was enjoying it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Until evil vampires showed up and ruined Until it all for you. Evil vampires rock up, and I was like, "Oh, they're the dudes who have been killing people." Now it all comes together. Because I thought the doctor was the one killing people, and oh. I was very because they do look fairly similar, James and the guy from Supergirl, <laughs> whose name I now can't remember. Character is Carlisle. Actor Carlisle. is Peter Facinelli. Yes. Um, who was Lord Maxwell Lord in Supergirl? Yes, Maxwell yes. Lord in Supergirl. Yeah, it then all made sense. I was like, oh, okay, they're different people. Now I get it. Now I get why we've been tracking that story. Mm. My actual favorite thing. My actual favorite thing. There was a video that went around, and I don't know if you've seen this video or not. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> a a bad lip reading of Twilight, which now I've seen the film is even better. I did see it many many years ago. Okay. A whole bit in that where, oh, what is it? My my brother's name is Kevin. Oh, wow. Kevin. He's Kevin, so. Okay. Kevin. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of these, you know, how this film should have ended, all the mistakes it made, bad lip reading type videos. But that was one that got shared that I did enjoy because it, it, it in itself is quite funny. Because it's utterly ridiculous. It is utterly ridiculous. So it, it takes something ridiculous and makes it even more ridiculous. Yeah. I get that. But is another example of people crapping on this movie in this franchise. Yes. Oh, Mandy, can you distill it down to a few favorite things for me? Well, I mean, I 
I think I've talked kind of extensively about just the character of Bella mm. because at the point in my life when I came to this and I, I found these books uh, the summer of 2007. Um, so Twilight and New Moon were out and Eclipse was getting ready to come out later that summer. Um, I had gone to the library looking for vampire books because I was in the mood to read some vampire novels, you know, whatever. That's a thing. And I found these. I had never heard of them before. And I remember getting home and sitting down and I opened Twilight and I did not move Mm -hmm. except maybe to go to the bathroom until I finished New Moon. Wow. And I mean, that's just how much they spoke to me and largely because Bella was such a relatable character to me. Mm. And, And I think she is going to continue to be my favorite um, part of why the whole Team Edward, Team Jacob thing that that happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, while I'm always going to pick Team Edward for Bella, like, really, my answer is Team Bella. Okay, like, nice. Like, what the heck, people? Come on. Um, I am specifically to do with the movie, I am a big fan of the Bella Edward love theme. Mm-hmm. It's called Bella's Lullaby, and I don't know if you picked it out, but it was most prominent Um when she came to visit the house okay, and he was showing her around. And at some point in there, he did sit down at the piano and play. Um, but it was kind of playing over that whole scene, even when he took her out right. into the woods and everything. It's a, it's a beautiful song. Ah, nice. Good. I don't always notice love themes. You know, I know Buffy and Angel's love theme, but apparently there's a Buffy and Riley love theme and a Buffy and Spike love theme, and I couldn't tell you about any of those. Yeah, yeah. And apparently on Grey's Anatomy, Meredith and Derek have a love theme. I have no idea. Okay. Is it like the McDreamy Wolves? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Anna points it out whenever we have our live tweets, and I still could not tell you what it's supposed to sound like. Um, But this one is one that's familiar to me and I don't know that if I just randomly heard it I would immediately go oh that's Bella and Edward's song Mm. but in the context of the movie I was like oh of course nice so have we decided then that we are going to continue watching these movies I think so I think so and I I am kind of interested to it so perhaps we throw one in and we'll talk about it uh, every so often do you have any interest in reading the book at this point? No. Okay. No, I don't read that much anyway. It'd be That's years true. You watch we... way too many movies to yeah, exactly. have time to read books. <laughs> It'd be years before we get there. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's why we still haven't done Dune, because I have to read the stupid book. <laughs> so. I mean, we could do the film first. I saw the film first. Yeah, we could do that, mm. I suppose. Maybe. Um, I do have one final question for you about this film. Okay. Why is it called Twilight? Is is it going no to idea. be a thing? Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I there there is a completely like story based reason, especially considering the progression that the book titles have. Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, mm-hmm. Breaking Dawn. They mm-hmm. there's a theme. I don't know how to relate that to the books. The story in this moment, I'm sure I have known, and I'm just going blank because you put me on the spot. Okay. I can Google it real quick if you really want to know. Nah, nah, I'm sure we'll find out. I, I was almost expecting this to be a thing, like, 
his vampire name is Twilight or something. But no. There was no reason. The movie Twilight. Have you seen it? Okay, I'm the main guy, Twilight. You know the main guy? Twilight? That's me. <laughs> it, I, I think it almost stands out. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't talk about this last Sorry. week, but 13 Going on 30 is a great title for that film. Like That is a very, very good title for a like, body swap magic film. And I was just watching Twilight going, why is this called Twilight? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's some sort of symbolism that no, Stephanie Meyer was going for, matter. and it's just unclear in this moment. Well, <laughs> it, at a quick glance at Google, it seems to have something to do uh. with some sort of biblical imagery. Um, Stephanie Meyer is Mormon, um, it, but I don't know. I honestly, I just, it is what it is to me. So I think okay. it's cool that there's a progression and they all go together and the book covers look really cool on my shelf next to each other. I, so I, I might want to attract you that know. saying it doesn't work. Does it work? I mean, I mean, it is a good name for these sort of gothic, you know, in the twilight sort of stories. I mean, can you can you come up with on the spot now demanded from me a better name for this story? Yeah, because actually, thinking a about it, this name? might be a, a name that works. I for this particular installment, no. I mean, I'm sure there probably are. I just can't come up with one on the spot because I suck at that sort of thing. But I think both New Moon Eclipse. Right. Actually, all three, New Moon, Eclipse, and Breaking Dawn, all make sense okay. for where they are in the story arcs and what's oh, happening. Um, so I I almost wonder if she had mapped out those and knew what she wanted to call them. And yeah, because of maybe, that, maybe. Like, okay, if you Twilight? know why this was called Twilight, if you have better names for this than Twilight, if you have ideal fan casting for Bella and Edward particularly... Let us know. You can join the conversation using the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. And you can find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, anywhere you need to find us, at eloquentgushing. And you can drop us an email, podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or leave us even a voice message, speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. Hey. I have an idea. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this while you were talking. What if it's called Twilight? Because this is about that moment in Bella's life <laughs> where she has fallen in love with a vampire. And so she's very, very close to joining, like, the dark side. Not necessarily the dark side, but, like, the side that has to be only around at night. And so her life is in this period nope. before darkness. No, you're reaching so far. I know. You're fall I know. It's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I got. Uh, Pop Culturally Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. So any amount you can give, even just $1 a month, will give you access to exclusive content. And it will also help to support our network and the shows we're currently doing and the shows we hope to do in the future. So to find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. We'll also be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Shakespeare in Love. We are rounding out our month of Matthew's movies. So until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. 
And dude, you slapped a fish. <laughs> I am definitely linking to that in the show notes. A fish. <laughs> a fish. You slapped a fish. <laughs> Pop Culturally Deprived is an eloquent gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.